Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' summer sales event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Do you know what I want to say to you? It was just great coming to work today. No school. And it's the dream driving in. Now, I don't have that far to come, but I love these weeks when there's no school on. I'm sure the children do as well. But I'm like a big child because you can pop in the car and you're here in no time and there's no delays. I just love it. I thought I'd say that at the start of the week anyway. Uh, Just the big change in travel arrangements for the next eight weeks or so. And as well... Kylie at Glastonbury. Oh, was I glued yesterday. And didn't she just rock the joint? We'll be talking more about that a little bit later on on the show. But first up today, she's not back to work until the end of the month. And I'm sure Megan Campbell can't wait to get going, having recently penned a new contract with Manchester City. In the meantime, she's been providing excellent analysis and insight. Did you see her? You've been watching her, have you? On RTE. She's punditing at the World Cup, but she's not on television today. She's here on radio on our local station with me Megan great to see you again thanks for having me Jerry thanks for joining me well done to you you have another string to your bow there you are very insightful your knowledge is coming through I'm really enjoying the Women's World Cup are you hearing that from a lot of people yeah definitely I think it's uh, people are a lot taken back by it than they they thought they probably that the quality wasn't going to be as great as we all portrayed it to be but then the, the girls are obviously proving them wrong it's, I think, can I say the word more honest than the men's? Yeah, less diving, maybe you would say. <laughs> Far <laughs> definitely, less. Like definitely. a couple of isolated incidents, uh-huh. I do know, of course. But that's what I love about it, the honesty of the girls. And, you know, it, it really has, I think, this World Cup ca- captured so many people's imaginations. Now, since you're here and you are a, a renowned pundit on, on this competition... <laughs> England go in against the USA tomorrow night and then Holland take on Sweden in the other semi-final. What's your take? You know a lot of the girls in this English team. What do you think? Um, I think it's going to be tough for them against the reigning champions, uh, the USA, but I don't think that they can uh, sit down and and accept that. Um, They're a great squad. um, They've got great players and great ability. And I I think, to be fair, I think they'll win it tomorrow night. Um, So for me personally, I'm going to choose England to win Really? Just for me teammates and all that. So <laughs> come on, are you, letting, um, yeah, are you yeah. letting the old heart rule the head there, <laughs> Megan? No, 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 definitely. I, I think England. They, they proved in the She Believes Cup at the start of the year in March that they, they were winning two nil and ended up drawing the game two two against the US. But it shows that they're more than capable of going and, and beating teams as uh, big as USA. But then in the other one, you've got the Dutch, who are the European champions, who qualified out of our group um, to make it to the World Cup. And they're playing Sweden, who have just also been told that they're going to the Olympics as well. So they've got a lot of positives around both European sides. But I think it's great to see that there's three European sides in the semi-finals. Who'll win that other one, the Swedes or the Dutch? Um, I'm going to go for the Dutch. 
Yeah, they're they're a strong team. They they seem to perform well at major tournaments. Maybe people would say they underperformed in the qualifiers, but then I think we did very well in the first game against them, and we're look, unlucky in the second. So, um, yeah, I think the Dutch have a have a strong outfit, and I think they'll come out winners. Uh, that's something that I wanted to ask you uh, about the Irish team and, and its standard when you compare it with the teams who've made the World Cup finals, and as you said, Holland in the same group as well. Where do we stand? I think coming into this Euro 2021 campaign, we've got a great shot. We've got um, a difficult team in Germany um, who are probably the top seeds in that group. Definitely the top seeds. Um, but when I watched them against Sweden the other night, um, Sweden did very well against them. And I don't think there's uh, a reason why we can't go there and compete against them as well. Um, for us, I think we were just a little bit too short and probably had a lot of injuries throughout the the qualifying campaign that didn't help us um, coming up into the big games and so you've got two two teams such as Norway who made it to the quarters and um, Holland who are obviously in the semis so it was never an easy task for us to get out of that group but going into the Euro 2021 qualifiers I think we've got a great a great stead ahead of us um, and I don't think we can't do it. I'm going to talk about injuries in a minute. I'm going to come back to the Irish international team for a reason you know well with the the management situation which has just broken in the last few days but stay with the World Cup for a moment. What do you make of the uh, VAR and and how it's been put to use in this competition? Um, I think it's a bit hit and miss. I think for if it's going for you, you're all you're all good and you're happy. But if it goes against you, then it, um, you're gutted. Um, and I think there has been a lot of decisions within the World Cup that have gone against teams, and decisions for penalties um, that have gone for little or nothing, and then decisions that should have been penalties not given. And you've got the whole issue about keepers coming off their line too early, and if they're not touching the white line when the ball's kicked, then it gets retaken. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I agree that keepers shouldn't be a mile off their line to save a penalty, but when it comes down to a matter of centimetres, I think it, it can be a bit of a, a bit of a joke, but um, like I said, it's all well and good if it's going in your favour, but if it's not, then it's not the best. I felt so sorry for the Japanese player the other night with that handball that ultimately knocked them out of the World Cup, and yet there was another handball... Was it with France or somebody uh, where it looked more obvious that that, you know, altered the flight of the ball? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's difficult when a player is two two foot from you and you're going to kick the ball to shoot towards the goal and their arms are by the side and it hits their arm and it goes to VAO and the referee gives a penalty. And and for me, that was never a penalty against the Japanese. Kumaga, the captain, I think she was devastated at the end of the game to to lose a game of football in such a major competition that way is, is really cruel. Um, and then like you said the game against France USA where for me doing the punditry I couldn't believe it wasn't given um, because that would have brought back to 2-2 and then possibly extra time because it was Mm. so late on and yeah I thought like if you're going to be you've got to be consistent with with the VAR decisions and for me it's still too inconsistent and that applies across the board whether it's the Women's World Cup or where it's been utilised and coming into the Premier League of course next year so there's a lot of issues uh, there still to be resolved but as a player do you welcome it? Um, it's an interesting one. I think if you're going to take it from all aspects, if it's going to change and help the game going forward, then yeah, I'm all for it. But like I said previously, there just needs to be consistency with it and referees need to have more experience with it because I think there was only, every referee had only managed two and a half games each previous to the Women's World Cup using VAR, which for me is just clearly not enough. Um, So I think more study and more background training needs to go into it before it comes into the Premier League. 
I'll say to listeners today, if you haven't been watching it, do yourself a favour and watch the semi-final, starting with England and the USA tomorrow night. And I'll tell you, you really will be surprised. It's wonderful and wonderful entertainment as well. Come back to the Irish team because Colin Bell unexpectedly announced that he was leaving the role as your manager. Have you played with him? Now, I know your injury has been a, a long road back for you, but have you managed to, to feel for him being on the team? Yeah, um, I played uh, two games at the start of the qualifying campaign and I played a friendly at the start of the year with under, well, under Colin and, you know, I am gutted to see him go because I thought he brought the game, the women's game in Ireland for the national team a long way in the la- in the last two years and from me being at, in at the start of the campaign and then coming into the, at the end and seeing the progression between the younger girls who are home-based in Ireland was just incredible and then obviously a lot of the girls, had more girls had gone abroad and started playing professionally and with along with his help um, to get themselves there so he did want a lot for the women's team and he, and he tried his best within that front um, but I am gutted to see him go yeah but I wish him all the best at Huddersfield He said uh, it's a bit like Benitez leaving Newcastle that his ambitions weren't being met by the FAI or what he was putting to them now he's going to Huddersfield who've just gone down from the Premier League but have this wad of cash when you're relegated for the first year of that as well and he's back into mainstream league football do you think... <laughs> Well, I can't read the man's mind here, but in a way, um, do you think that was too good an offer to turn down, even though he says he'd love to have stayed and the ambitions of the Football Association and the financial support didn't meet what he felt was required? Eh, maybe I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the background within the FAI that everybody knows about and obviously there's a lot of issues that need to be resolved there but I think on his front the the opportunity to go and probably manage in one of the best leagues in uh, the world if not definitely England I think it's the most competitive league yeah people will say that the Premier League is obviously of best quality but I think the, the competition between teams in the championship is a lot tighter and it's more exciting I think to watch at times Um but I, I just think the opportunity for him maybe was too big to turn down. Um, he's got family, he's got a future to look to. And I think with most people in any career that uh, you, you have in, in a walk of life, that you've got to take what the opportunities that are given to you when, when they're better than the ones you have. Do you reckon if there was a more stable FAI and it's in turmoil in there, they can say what they like, it is turmoil in the FAI. The AGM is coming up in Mead now shortly and we all have our eyes gazed on that to see what happens. If it was a more stable organisation, do you think they might have done a little more to keep them? Maybe there might have been a different route that would have went down in terms of the conversations that were had between them, but um, I obviously don't know the ins and outs and as to what was said and what wasn't said. Uh, all we well, we got told as players was that uh, Colin was unfortunately uh, resigning and stepping down and, and going to Huddersfield. So um, for me, I don't get involved with all the politics and all <laughs> that behind it. So I just want to play football and my hopes are to qualify for Euro 2021. So that's where my, my aim and, and all my training and, and hard work and along with all the other players... like. We're just focused on going to Euro 2021. I think the main thing for us is to now get a manager in who's who's going to help continue to progress us as a squad like Colin did the last two years and um, and get us over that line finally. Now, congratulations. You've signed on with a fantastic club, Manchester City, for another year. And I read an interview you did around that time with one of the national papers. And one thing caught my eye from it. You said... During this difficult time with injury that you've come through, you did consider hanging up your boots. Really? Yeah, definitely. I think when 
you don't as a player you're obviously going to go through injuries and I unfortunately went through two in the space of three years that were both long term um, and the first one being my ankle in my left ankle I had surgery came back and I had a little setback within that but it wasn't as long as obviously the ACL recovery and when I did my ACL in November 2017 I thought okay I've got nine months now post surgery to get myself sorted I'll miss the end of the season but I'll be back for pre-season and ready and um, unfortunately there was a few setbacks within that um, and in October of 2018 I had to start the whole process again basically to to re I guess get myself ready again to go back on the pitch and, and that took me another six months so in total I was out for quite a long time um, I don't think I kicked a football on the pitch with the girls till uh, 15 months and my first 90 minutes was after 18 months so there was a lot of mental struggle I would say more so than physical at times and obviously I had the loss of my granddad Eamon and then my nan uh, as well so it wasn't a happy time for or a happy time for me and my family I think and along with the football where that would normally be an out for me I didn't have that either so um, yeah it was quite tough mentally at times. But you are back and you are fully recovered. And we on the pitch at Wembley when they won the cup again, Man City. Yeah, I was on the bench, thankfully. I was obviously delighted to be back involved yeah. with the squad and, and to sit on the bench even to be in that wonderful stadium was a, a great achievement for, for us. And of course you were there previously winning the cup, uh, playing your part on the field as well. Two cups for City this year, no league. Yeah. Does we, that rankle? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think... Um, like the manager said, Nick, it, it, the, the the fact that we lost the league was more based on ourselves and our own performances against other teams where we drew five games rather than the quality who won it. Um, don't get me wrong, if you're going to win the league, you've got to be a good team and you've got to have a great season. And to be fair, Arsenal did and they were tough to play against. Um, and fair play to them, they've got Champions League now as well next year. So um, it wasn't nice to see them lift the trophy, I'll, I'll tell you that. But um, we're looking to get it back next season. Thank God something in Arsenal or somebody won something because as a gunner from I was a nipper, I'm in despair with those lads over there. I'll have to go and cheer on the girls now. They're so successful. Yeah, well, you've got Katie and Louise over there yeah. as well. So obviously, personally, I was delighted for them to have some success in, in their season, but I wasn't happy that Arsenal won it. Obviously, I would have <laughs> rather us to win it. <laughs> Megan Campbell's back this year. Watch out, gunners. City are on the march. But look, you're part of a wonderful story over there and a story like... Look at the club Manchester City, where it's come from on all fronts, from where it was in Main Road, struggling in the lower leagues, to this halcyon era, with, of course with plenty of backing from the Middle East as well. But it has to be done. The men's team conquering all in front of them. But by the way, they struggle in Europe too, don't they? They just haven't got their hands on that big prize. Yeah, not quite. Um, I think, well, my dad's delighted. He's Jack a is fan. here. Megan's dad, her chaperone is with us. He's always here when she's, when she's in studio. I take it he's a Liverpool fan, is yeah, he? When just, he raises hands in the air like that. Oh, yeah, just I'd say that was tough in your house to uh, to deal to with that. Fair. But look, coming back to the, to the to the um, women's side of things at Man City, when you think of when you entered the game, right? In, in you went to the states and played your trade there, and then you come back and you sign on professionally across the water. Has it really come on so much in a short space of time for girls? Yeah, definitely. Um, if I was given the opportunities like the girls have now um, as kids, I would have took it with both hands you know the, there's more availability for young girls to play football now and um, for me as a kid growing up I didn't have female role models I was all male footballers that I looked up to and and so to be able to to see young girls and even young boys 
watching women's football and and saying that they're they're role models and they want to be in their position when they're older is obviously is a great achievement and it shows how far the game has come but I think it still has a long way to go especially in Ireland um, in terms of progression and, and the funding and that that needs to go into it in order to get it up to a level that other countries are at but um, it's definitely grown a lot since since I've started When I think of the girls the Irish girls as well you mentioned the Irish girls are Arsenal there's always been a contingent there but do you remember a few years ago was it Emma Barn that was uh, what was her name Byrne was our surname anyway, yeah. uh, who was there but and a number of others as well but they uh, they had to actually have they had day jobs and football was only part time and they really got pittance didn't they yeah uh, Yvonne Tracy Keir Grant Emma Byrne they were all there Nephi there was a good group of them and um, I remember Yvonne when she used to be in the national team saying that she used to have to wash the boys kit and clean their boots and stuff and to be fair if you think about that now it's actually mind blowing that they did that but they did what was necessary for for the women's game and for themselves personally, and I don't think without the likes of those people we would be as fortunate as we are today. It must be a dream to go into Manchester City every day to train. <laughs> that this is your job when you think of it, Megan. You know, is it a job really? It's something you love, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think you call it a job when no. you when you enjoy doing it. Um, it's not as easy as maybe people would portray, though. I mm. think it's long hours. It's you've got to, even when you're away from the club, you've still got to be careful in terms of what you do off the pitch, in terms of what you eat and um, sleep and all this. So it's not as easy as people would say uh, being a footballer and living the life of Riley. Some people would say, but um, it is enjoyable and it's something that I am very grateful to have the opportunity to do it's so important to say that because people think it comes easy it doesn't there's a huge commitment looking after yourself the hours the time the length of the season you name injury yeah. you, you, know, you mention yourself don't mention the word please please don't come near this young woman for a long long time to come let's see her at our best this coming season so you go back to pre-season towards the end of July now and you're off to the States is it for pre-season yeah we head to um, the States North Carolina on the 12th I think of August August and we stay there for eight days and we have a mini tournament so it's us Atletico Madrid Leon and North Carolina so I'm looking forward to that maybe get a bit of sun um, and then we come back we've got a few more days training and then we go to an international break which has our first qualifier in Tala Stadium against Montenegro on the 3rd of September so um, hopefully that will kick off our campaign successfully um, and then when I go back to England our first game just got announced today that um, is Man United at home so Derby Day on the first day first weekend of the season isn't a bad one to have a bad one what a fantastic <laughs> game to look forward to and the rivalry that exists there as well a derby a Manchester derby to begin your season and of course it follows the lines of the men's season as well right through over the same period of time you love being home can I say that yeah, I, I do enjoy being home, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm around family and friends and my dog's actually living here so my mum and dad kill me for that but uh, he's currently living in the house What's as well. Name? So Bailey. And um, what breed of a dog is he, Megan? He's a mix. He's a Cocker Spaniel cross with a uh, terrier. So, so he's, he's, he's here and you're over there. Yeah. Come back on the ferry. There's lots of WhatsApp <laughs> going on between <laughs> yeah. here and there, is there, with the with himself? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I, when I come home, I like to spend a lot of time with family and friends. Mm. And thankfully, I've got a big summer um, break where I've had ten weeks to be able to be at home with family and also train, but spend time away from it and in a different environment. So I'm enjoying the break because I haven't had one in quite a while. So. so even when you're home and on the break, you are still working. You just don't live the life and then go back uh, uh, half a stone heavier. No. No, definitely. 
definitely not. I've had I've had eighteen months off with my knee, so I don't need any more summer breaks. Yes. Um I'll enjoy the time at home but I'll I'll also train. So I train most days. Um down in Sean Kilroy's uh fitness gym actually at the bottom of Greenhills Road. So they've been quite good to me and allowed me to use all their equipment and, and be in the gym as much as I need to. So um yeah, it's a big thanks to them as well to help me keep fit. So life's good and raring to go. Is that the message today after this prolonged absence? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Looking forward to the 8th of September. You finish up on television when you've, your last game is... Yeah, I work tomorrow night against the, the USA, semi-final. England. Yeah, semi-final. And then you're, and then you're away after that. Well, listen, well done to you on that. As I said, another uh, road for you perhaps to travel in the future. But listen, there's loads of football left in those <laughs> boots yet. Get out there this year. Give it socks with Ireland. And the best of luck with Manchester City. We'll be keeping an eye on you through the season. And it's always a pleasure to have you join me when you're home. Megan Campbell, thank you. Thank you, you Jerry. Yeah, the script and the first time wonderful song. And I'm going to dedicate that to my granddaughter, Ava Flynn, today. Do you know why? Because she was up at United Park for the first time on Friday night to cheer on the drugs. And guess what? Yeah, you know it already if you're into your sport or whatever. They got a last minute winner, Louise. And the roof came off the place. She was the lucky, the lucky, <laughs> the lucky mascot. mascot. We better make sure she goes every week. Yes, the handing on of the baton on Friday night. And does she uh, like soccer anyway? Uh, she's she's playing Gaelic with Delique okay. at the minute. So she is, yeah, at four years of age. And she loves to kick a ball and that as well. So uh, we're getting her going early, as they say. Tell me this. Would you say you're addicted to your phone? Yep. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I am. I openly am. I'm never off it. I suppose in a way I, I, I am too. In a way. But a lot of people are seriously in trouble with this. You know this anyway. Yeah. It's just night, noon and morning. It never stops. Well, after two on late lunch, we're going to be joined by Hilda Burke and she's written a fascinating new book called The Phone Addiction Workbook. And if you're addicted or you know someone who is, she just might be able to help. Stay with us on late lunch. Most everywhere I go nowadays, I look around me and I see people with their heads stuck in their phones coming to work this morning. It was a joy to come, as I said earlier on. No traffic with the schools out. But at a bus stop, when I was at the lights, there were people waiting on a bus from Drogheda to Dublin. And I could say all bar one were stuck in their phones. Louise, our producer, Louise Walsh, has admitted that she's an addict. Is that true, Louise? You do confirm that, that you're addicted? Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty concerned about my own use, you know, and it's all tied in, as you know, Louise, with our our jobs here as well and the work. We understand that as well. I wonder, I don't think I'd use it as much if it wasn't work related. I'd probably agree with you myself. Yeah. Because when I'm off, I do cast it aside, that's for sure. Well, let's have a word with our next guest and get her take on it. Because you see, Hilda Burke has written a new book and it's really, really timely. It's called The Phone Addiction Workbook. She's a psychotherapist, life coach and couples counsellor and she's on the line. Afternoon, Hilda. Hi, how are you? I am very good. Thank you so much for taking our call today. I want to say this to you. Is it because you've been listening in there to what I've been saying in the introduction? Is that why you've written this and what you've seen through your work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah, very much kind of observational, as you say. You know, people sitting at bus stops, people walking down the street, 
everywhere, you know, people waiting for each other, people, you know, with each other as well. That's the other shocking thing. Whatever about sort of filling your downtime um, with your phone, you know, you see people in bars and restaurants and they're with their loved ones, but they're not actually with them because they're, you know, they're consumed by their devices. So, you know, it's something I see just out and about, but also, you know, comes up in my work, Um, you know, in in couples therapy in particular, one party um, might have a grievance against the other. They're always on their phone or their tablets and they can never switch off. Even when they go on holiday, they feel the need to be sort of connected with work and therefore they're never really available. Um, That's one. And, you know, another is, you know, people who... Another common one is people trying to get over a breakup, but, you know, they're constantly being sort of pummeled by updates online, you know, pictures posted, Facebook memories to kind of assault them and remind them, you know, really frequently something that people, I guess, didn't have to deal with 10, 20 years ago. And they just had to get over the breakup, but they, they weren't constantly you know, getting unless they worked with a person or, or something else. They, they, they really didn't, they got that time to kind of separate and, and to kind of get over. But now, you know, it's really hard to do that because they're constant reminders of, of that. You know, it need not be a relationship. Sometimes it's a friendship or a family mm. connection that's broken down. But, you know, it's really hard to kind of extricate yourself fully from those memories online because even if you disconnect, you defriend the person, then, you know, but there are, more, there are likely to be, you know, mutual friends, mutual acquaintances that will sort of post pictures or mention things. So it's a constant reminder. And that's really difficult for people. So this is an epidemic. I hear what you're saying. And it's going to get worse, it looks like, before it gets better. How do you assess, tell me, Hilda, if you're addicted? What are the signs? And um, what are the signs? I think, you know, a good one is, um, you know, if you forget your phone at home for the day or you leave it behind, you know, how agitated do you feel? Do you feel like, okay, and it, it, there is that initial frustration on, oh, I'm going to miss out on something, but you kind of get over it. You get on with the day. Or are you continually on edge? Are you think, you know, are you kind of, if you think, I think a good analogy is like a smoker, you know, a casual smoker. Um, they might have a, a drink and have a cigarette or whatever. It's probably not going to get too frustrated if they don't have a cigarette. But someone who's addicted and they've left their cigarettes at home and they're somewhere where, let's say, for, for argument's sake, you can't buy a cigarette, they'll probably, it'll probably bother them the whole day. They probably won't be able to just kind of relax and kind of get over it. Um, because of that addictive behavior there, you know, that you a lot of smokers, their day would be ruined. And yes. I would say for people who are addicted to the smartphone, the same thing. God, you know? I've had that experience, I have to say, when I'd come to work and I've left it at home. I have to turn around and go back and get it. Now, I do know it's work-related here, and I'll be honest about that, and people have my number, and I need to be available and on sure. the ball for sure. And I do say when I'm on holidays, it's not such an issue. So that's one thing about having those feelings if you forget your phone. What about uh, last thing at night, you know, checking it right through, checking everything, and then putting it down? And then when you wake in first thing in the morning, or in the middle of the night you're checking it again is that a real sign yeah i mean that would be sort of that would be a hallmark as well you know particularly the middle of the night checking um that that would be kind of worrying behavior unless of course of course there are exceptions if someone's ill or whatever then that would be a natural thing to do if you're worried about but aside from that 
you know, any other reason aside from, you know, someone being ill or you're being worried about their uh, their health, then, yeah, it, that, that would be worrying. Um, and also, yeah, last thing, and I, you know, first thing at morning, there's some interesting statistics about Irish adults. Um, 20% of them check their phone within five minutes of waking up. So that's, that's indicative of quite a, you know, a high level of dependency. Mm. But interestingly, about that statistic, that was 2018. In 2017, 27% of Irish adults said they checked their phones within five minutes of waking up. So I think awareness is starting to, to, to grow. I think in some kind of markets like the UK, the US and Ireland, there's a lot of debate about phone use. And there's also, a, you know, they're starting to see bars and cafes here that um, f- phones aren't, you know, phones are banned. Some members club phones are banned. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a change in the tide. And also, you know, places are starting to market themselves, kind of luxury destinations and holiday resorts on the fact that they are off-grid. So, you know, a couple of years ago, up until now, Wi-Fi, fast Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi was a real selling point. But it's interesting to see in the kind of, in the luxury side of the market, which of course leads with, tends to lead with innovation and then which trickles down to the rest of us and our kind of regular holidays. So it's interesting to see that, that there are, there is growing recognition and also that the market is starting to, capitalize on that which kind of suggests that it is a thing there is a demand for people I'm laughing Hilda because that was we, I was in Italy lately and somebody said oh that hotel you're going to wonderful Wi-Fi oh the best you'll be totally con- connected while you're there isn't it just so funny yeah. uh, and what you say the, the, the way it's going and hopefully it will head in that direction tell me what a lock screen has to do with helping us along with this you know, one, one, one of the tips I recommend in the book is, you know, the fact that we check our phones, um, well, Irish people check, check them 57 times per day. And presuming most of us are trying to, to, to cut down, you know, 56% of Irish people say they use their phones too much. So there's a recognition that it's, it's problematic. But, you know, to harness that, to kind of use that, that fact that you're looking at your screen the whole time, why not put like a lock screen message there so it could be it could be something that you would rather be do, you want to be doing if you didn't spend so much time on your phone so it could be a picture of you exercising it could be a picture of you outdoors it could be cooking or meeting with friends to have an image there of something positive that you really value that that you would rather spend your time on is i think a really those kind of visual reminders can be really effective or else to put you know something just like put something silly, draw a little picture, stop using your bloody phone. You know, some, something to bring a bit of humour into it as well is good, you know, and I think as well, you know, the fact that we do look at them so much, why not? You know, like it, I'm thinking of the ads they put on the side of cigarette packets, you know, to deter mm. smokers. Now, that's kind of something that's imposed by the government. So we're, most of us, particularly being Irish, we're going to try and reject those. We don't like being told what to do by the authorities. But, you know, if we have our own message, you know, how much more effective would that be? You know, I think we're more likely to listen to ourselves. Yeah, big visual. Don't switch me on or else or something like that on the front of it. They're shocky, you know. But look at here. If you are addicted, give us a few pointers for a cure. Um, 
I think the first thing is, um, you know, in the book, I I don't advocate cold turkey because the problem with going cold turkey is people tend to fall off the wagon and then think there's no point. I'll just keep doing it. I'm useless. I can't change this. So I think one thing is to uh, what I called weight weight training. So essentially that's waiting, you know, increasing the weight on the time, the interval between you picking up your phone and you picking it up again. So it could be for me the first step I took this was a couple of years ago when I was looking at my phone use was when I took the dog out for a walk, which would be like 45 minutes to an hour. I said, well, first step, I'm, I'm, I don't need to be reachable at that time. There's absolutely no reason. No, I'm going to be playing with my dog, going to be in the park. There's no need for me to have my phone on the, my person. So that was the first step for me. I stopped bringing the, the, the phone with me on my walk with the dog. And then I kind of got a taste for it. I thought, you know, this is quite nice being detached for a bit. So that, that gave me the craving for more. So I think that's a really good place to start, to start looking at your diary and going, you know what, I don't need my phone for that. Don't need my phone when I'm walking my kids to the school. That's only 30 minutes. So making it something that's doable. You know, and then you can you get used to that. You start going, okay, I quite like this. I'm going to switch it off for the afternoon rather than just that hour that I'm collecting the kids from school. So, you know, I think that that builds your confidence, and I think that d- d- develops a good sort of new behaviour and um, pattern. Do you know why um, I bring my phone for a walk with my dog? Sorry. Do you know why I take my phone with me when I'm I walking? I have no my idea. Dog? Because there's a little app on it that tells me the distance. <laughs> I walk. Right. A lot of us are hooked into those. And, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it, it can become more about the, the that sort of the, the, the mileage than the, the yes. stepage rather than what we're taking in. Okay. So I think, I mean, if you're really attached to that, you could always get a pedometer. They're pretty, they're very cheap and just, you know, decouple it that way. But, yeah. you know, these are all things we need to be very mindful of what we're using it for, why are they just apps to, that companies come up with to, to keep us dependent on our phones? Yes. We're getting something from it. We're getting a little pat on the head. Aren't you good? You've done 20,000 steps. Well, actually, you know, for your well-being, you'd probably be better doing, you know, not knowing. Because you do. You probably do know how many steps your walk That's is. You true. Can calculate That's the true. That's true. Yeah, don't and you know, I have a Fitbit as well that I had on for a while, and then it was driving me mad, telling me how badly I was sleeping. So I'm, I'm all awry a, a with technology, to be honest yeah. with you, Hilda, at the moment. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it can be very stressful. It certainly can. Just before we finish up, a couple of other points, please, because I, I, I have to say... It, this book is, is so interesting and people should get it because it really will it is a workbook it'll be a real help to you if you're feeling or have these feelings that we're talking about a couple of more tips for the cure please a couple more tips okay so the lock screen is one the, the weight training um, the I, I think a good one is when you're out with people when you're socialising is I used to um, as a personal example I used to if if I was at my friend, my phone was on airplane mode, so it wouldn't vibrate, it wouldn't ring. So I thought that was good. That was good behavior. But what I was doing then was when if a friend went to the loo or whatever, um, went outside, I would I'd just slip it on to, to you know, take off the airline <laughs> mode and, and check my email, check social media. And I kind of realized that when my friend come back, I'd, I'd be, I could be quite like my head could be elsewhere because I'd be thinking about something another friend yeah. um, messaged me on WhatsApp. I wouldn't really be present for it would take me a while to get back into the conversation or where we were so I think a really good tip is you know to go one further when you're out with friends or family is to switch your phone off 
and switch it in, put it in your bag. So then if they go to the loo or whatever, at least my phone is quite slow booting up by the time I put in the pin. It's just not worth it. So I've kind of put another barrier in place to stop myself using my phone. And I find that one quite effective. And there are more besides many more that there you detail. Many, many yes, more in the book. Yes. there are indeed. Well, listen, it's timely. I think you're on a winner with this one for sure. And uh, I say again, uh, and I have it and I have been reading it and I will read more of it. And I'm going to try and put into practice, I promise you, as Sorry. much as I can <laughs> of what you recommend. Thank you for taking our call, Hilda. And I wish Thanks, you well. Sorry. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye bye. That's Hilda Burke there. It's called The Phone Addiction Workbook. If you're struggling, check it out. We were out and about, as you know, last Friday at the uh, festival in Kells, the Hinterland. And I want to say hello to Podge Rourke. Louise, we, we met Podge after the show. We yeah, were he just was finished. Lovely. lovely, lovely man. And he was telling us he listens to Late Lunch every day and really enjoys the show. And he's a brother of Noel Rourke. And you know Noel from I know Silver Lawns and Avenue, who yep. I plied my trade with for years in PNT Telecom Aircom. He's a great guy, Noel. And we were just talking. And it was lovely to meet Podge in Kells at the hinterland on Friday. Now I mentioned top of the show uh, yes, Glastonbury, I was glued. Did you see any of it over the weekend, Louise? I saw the killers. Oh, they, they were, were f- brilliant. Oh, they were and just I'll... fantastic. Saturday night. Yeah, and the Pet Shop Boys were fantastic. Yeah. They haven't changed over the years. Your man, what's <laughs> yes. his name? Chris, Chris Lowe, still didn't smile. He was playing the keyboard and him and the just hat. staring at the Seven hat. foot high, I'd say. Not a change out of them in all those years. They were terrific. They were brilliant. Uh, of course, my woman yesterday. Yes, Kylie was on the pyramid stage yesterday afternoon and she, oh, look at she put on a great set again and had the audience going flying. She'd always say she was good. Ah, she is. She was good, was she? Yes, really? she was. The okay. sound was a little bit dicky, I thought, early on. I don't know what that was to do with technicals or whatever, but she's just, she's the queen, isn't she? I saw her in December in Dublin. I think that's the fourth or fifth time I've seen her in concert and she was great again yesterday. And great that she was there because 14 years ago she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was to be part of... Uh, the festival there and she couldn't at the time and it was just emotional when she was talking about that yesterday but I found a new star Louise I mean a brilliant brilliant performance by Janelle Monet. did you ever hear of Janelle Monet from the States oh my word last night thank God she was on on BBC4 and I watched the whole set she was unbelievable so unbelievable let's look her up as for the cure I mentioned the cure a couple of times there to my last guest I think I'd have needed something to cure me after a couple of songs last night. I won't start that. They have a few good numbers in that, but I just felt they never got the crowd going. That's to be honest with you. And I know people love them and we have all different tastes in music and fair juice to you. But anyway, Janelle Monet is my new focus because she was outstanding and she'll headline that pyramid stage. I'll tell you this. Is she a newbie? Has she been she's around? around a few years, but she's okay. not thirty. She's a young girl, and and she's really made a mark. She was there a few years ago, but she was really back in one of the big stages last night, and she was simply outstanding. Would you say you were a gig goer yourself? Have you gone to many not concerts really. over your life? Not really. No. Have you not? No. And it wasn't. It's not just. It's not that I don't want it. It's just anybody that I kind of wanted to see. Just it just. Couldn't go for some for some mm. reason or other. Yeah, I've been on a good few gigs in my time. I can remember way back, you know, Thin Lizzy. I remember seeing Lizzy playing some wonderful live gigs. They were marvellous, including Slane, but other ones at smaller venues as well I've been to see. I went to Slane once. Did you? Who did yeah. you go to see? You too. Did you? Yeah. Um, have you a story? Is that the one with the story? You have yeah, to tell... You have to, is this the one with the story? Will mm. you tell them the story? Listen to this It was story. the only time I was ever at Slane, actually. Um, okay. Because I used and, to work. All right. So, so you, got off anyway, go and... Um, Everybody was saying, oh, Slane and security and you can't bring in any 
anything to drink you have to buy it all on site so I thought oh, I can't be bothered queuing up for hours maybe to get a drink so I bought a watermelon <laughs> and I filled it with vodka Okay. and I put it in the fridge good woman overnight alright so the next day I filled a backpack mm-hmm. with as much watermelon as I could put in and it was really heavy so I couldn't carry the whole lot so I left some there and in off the I went in okay. the fridge Grand. in my mother's house lovely and off I went delighted with myself thinking I beat the sheriff and I got into the gates of Slane and I had I carried a watermelon. It's like that quote from Dirty Dancing. infused with you know what. But you got a call, did you? I got a call halfway down the road from my sister, my younger sister, all in a panic. Louise, the watermelon in the fridge. I says, yeah, is a vodka in it. I said, yeah, why? Oh, daddy's eaten. And my my dad, God rest him, was a pioneer all his life. (laughs) And he was took. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Into this watermelon. So this is just, just get the rest of it and just throw it out. <laughs> so the famous Colin Walsh of Walsh and Keeley in Navin, God who never, never found took out. a drink in his life. Never found you out. You plied him with vodka. Well, I was thinking it's a bit like cherry trifle, isn't it? Once it's in fruit, it's okay. Oh, Louise, do you know something? You always <laughs> have an answer. I'd say your father often said that. <laughs> yeah, that one always, always has an answer. He pretended he was deaf around me. Fruit <laughs> trifle. Ah, you're cutting me. There's sherry a, trifle. Ah, oh, for the like Lord of God. There's a, there's a whiff okay. of sherry in it. Not bottles <laughs> in the melon. <laughs> was it a melon, you said? What did you say? A watermelon. A melon, yeah, a melon. Yeah. A melon. And, he, and was he all right? Was, yeah, he, was he singing that evening or anything? No, was he? I don't think so, no. I think Neve got the rest of it. I think he only had a small slice. <laughs> Luckily enough. So that was my uh, love it. one and only time going slain. I love it. I've never bought a watermelon since. I'm sure you didn't. God, you were ahead of the posse. You certainly were thinking outside the box. Yeah. And uh, was, was the gig good? Yeah, it was. Oh, the gig was fantastic. It was, yeah. It was yeah. One, of, one of the best they've ever had there. Anyway, Glastonbury over for another year. You were looking at some of the facts. David Attenborough was on stage yesterday and he was just congratulating everybody. No single use 
plastic. But yeah, you have a statistic on that that bears this yeah, out. According to uh, breakingnews.ie that there were more than one million plastic drink bottles sold at the festival in 2017 and none yesterday. Brilliant. And in total, 45 tonnes of aluminium cans were processed on site, while 4,500 litres of cooking oil was turned into biofuel. Isn't that mad? Isn't it great? Oh, my God. And there was Lord. 850 water points across the 900 acres. No site. wonder David Attenborough was, was thrilled. And the reception yeah. the crowd gave him as well was just unbelievable. But you have to take your hat off them. 900 acres, 79 stages. Can you just get your yeah, head around? Yeah, it's very hard to I'd comprehend. I'd love to it? go. I'd love to go to it. You'll have to go next year. It's uh, the 50th anniversary. I'd love to go to it. It'd be just something I'd love to experience in my lifetime. Probably not at this stage, but look, I'd never the say boss never. might send you over. You never know. Yeah, Michael, I'd love purposes. to go to Glass. Glastonbury and do some links back in. We'll, do, we'll go to Glastonbury now live for a link to Jerry. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Send me, Michael. If he's there. <laughs> send me, Michael. Please send me. Come on. Bring a watermelon with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Louise, of course, with the melon. You'd have to show me how to consume it. Anyway, with Glastonbury on mind. I don't mind. think you'd need much showing, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have her. It's inevitable on late lunch on this day after Kylie starred on the pyramid stage. It's herself. I just love her. Yes, Miss Kylie Minogue and can't get you out of my head on late lunch this Monday afternoon. Up next on the show, would you or someone you know be interested in an apprenticeship? Yes, Margaret Riley is joining us. Yes, she's an ambassador for apprenticeships in Ireland and she's bringing somebody special with her, somebody who's been working with her on an apprenticeship for a year. Stay with us on late lunch. I'm just thinking here, and it's come to me in the last few moments, on Friday in Kells, I was joined by Nick Cure. Of course, he spent 10 years on The Apprentice. And we're going to talk about apprentice or apprenticeships. Or There's a new name on the course we're going to talk about now in a moment, because I'm joined on Late Lunch today by a lady you've met many times over the years on Late Lunch. It's Margaret Riley. She's from Grand Designs Kitchens and Bedrooms. And she's brought with her today a first-year apprentice. Her name is Orla Delaney, and it's in wood manufacturing and finishing. Ladies, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining Thank you. me. Thanks for now, having now, Margaret, I, I was saying, correct me if I'm wrong, and I am wrong here, it was no known as cabinet making, yes. That's right, Jerry. Now, they've changed the name. Why? They changed a couple of the trades and cabinet making was one of them. Now, it's wood manufacturing and finishing, so it's kind of more machinery and that. They also did the same with carpentry and joinery. That's now C&J. Okay. It's all that's amalgamated. So, you know? so the change in the names with the times and the different uh, skills and technologies that have come into it, is that yeah, it? Yeah, they've developed them even yes. better now. Okay. okay, so that's the proper name, just to say wood manufacturing and finishing. Now, you're here with me today. Let's step right back with you because I want you to remind listeners how you got into this game. You're an exceptional woman in that you set up your own business here. You run your own business in a traditional, what was a traditional, a man's world, Margaret. Well, tell me about you in school and how you got into this. Jerry, it goes back to going to the learn to school in the tech 
in Lawrence Street, the white building there. And my woodwork teacher was Martin Murray at the time. And I was in first year and came from primary school. I didn't think I was, you know, I thought I was a little bit stupid, to be honest, you know, because academically that came to me in my 20s. But when I went into the secondary school and they had metalwork, woodwork, they had um, all these different subjects. We move around the class every 45 minutes. And I met Martin Murray and he said, Margaret, you're really good at the woodwork. I think you should stick at that. And I got an A in me junior cert in the woodwork and I carried that with me. So I believed I was truly good at that. And I really, really was. I was blessed with my hands in that department. So I finished school in fifth year. I felt I'd learned an awful lot, learned enough, you know, and had all my books and everything. And what I did was I was a devil. I uh, was heading off to school one day and uh, this I was my mother thought I was going to school and I hadn't been at school in about a whole month you know and uh, uh, the letter came in the door and my mother said the next day where are you going today I said I'm going to school she said you haven't been at school in a whole month and I remember my stomach dropping I was like I'm dead you know but uh, I was renovating the cottage in Summerhill and I went she said now listen you're going to have to get a real job so I got working with um, Alpine Furniture's on the Ban McKenney Road, that was with Ken Healy, and yes. there was with twenty four staff there at the time. Mm. Do you know, and I was there for a year and a half. I used to go into Ken every, you know, day, every week, paid it. So, uh, will you give me an apprenticeship, will you? And uh, he said, "Look, if I give you one, I'll have to give everyone one." So I said, "Look, I won't tell anybody, you know." Mm. So, uh, but uh, um, Ken introduced me to Peter Bork, and uh, it's funny. Like I love doing. I was just saying to Orla, I love coming up and doing these talks. I said because I was at Peter Bork's funeral there a couple of weeks ago, and he helped me. He came in with the folder and said, "Margaret, there's the apprenticeship. Now all you need to do is go and find a sponsor." And that's when I met Desi. Desi Boylan in, in Bewley and we drove by there today and I said there's the workshop there that workshop is now you know yes. it was that's where we we used so to So Desi yeah. Boylan gave you the apprenticeship yes which enabled you then to start off on the road and onto this career yeah. I never knew you mid school for a month <laughs> yeah. until today your poor mother <laughs> yeah. and you get this letter saying where is she and Did you're going out to school every day yeah. and you just Went off and you were on this job and... I had the working clothes in the school bag and I change when I get there. And because it was it was like a friend of the family, so he didn't really, he didn't know that my mother said, that she didn't know about it. Like, it was just one of those things. They thought she knew, she didn't know, you're in the middle of this. What a story this is. Yeah. And look where you've come to today with your own business. How many do you employ? There is seven full-time workers in the factory and then we have about 10 to 12 subcontractors that we go in and do up a do whole Do your home. fitting and all that do for the, you. Like the electricians and plumbers, we yes. project manage a whole job then. Yeah. And you quit school in fifth year and you didn't tell your mother, oh my God, this is just Torrance, <laughs> defies logic, it turns everything on its head, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, Jerry. Let's bring in this lovely lady that's sitting beside you and see <laughs> has she a different story. I wonder, did she knock off school early or whatever? You're welcome to late launch, Orla Hi, Delaney. Thank Thanks you for, for joining us. me. You're a first year apprentice at Margaret. Yeah, that's right, yes. I'm a first year apprentice. So tell us your story. Where were you at school and how did this happen? Well, I would say I enjoyed school fine enough. Um, I started doing construction studies in uh, fifth year and I started to really enjoy it. And I'd say to my parents, like, oh, I really like this. So kind of started thinking to myself, like, oh, this is what I want to do. So I finished out the year and um, then over the summer I was like, right, OK, I'm going to do an apprenticeship. So my dad would make me go down to the old uh, DPL and the likes of Eddie's Hardware and stuff like that. And Every day he'd be like, okay, we're go on in again and ask around, ask around for apprenticeships. So um, one day I went up to Eddie's Hardware and uh, went in there asking around. 
and I uh, short construction was there and I went up to him and I asked oh do you know of anyone doing apprenticeships and he said I tell you what I'll give you Margaret's number and I was like okay I don't know who Margaret is but right okay thank you very much so he said just give her a call and um, she'll give you a hand so that's I rang Margaret later on that day and she said oh come on up we'll uh, take a look at your CV and have a chat and so that's what I did went up to Margaret about a week later and uh, just had a chat with her and gave me advice and everything (laughs) And um, she said, you're definitely not going back to school. And I said, no, not a chance. This is what I want to do. I'm not going back. And uh, then she said, right, OK, we'll start you out for a few days and see how you go on. So that's what I did. Did two days out of a week and then uh, just started going from there. Starting week by week, I was in full time and now I'm here a year. So. <laughs> there you go. So you as well, did you see uh, uh, school through to the end of fifth year? Yeah, yeah, yeah finished out oh. fifth year. Okay. Yeah, and, and then. in you go and you're yeah. in the first year now. Had you a grow for this? Is this something you want to do? You know the way Margaret said there, she yeah. went to the tech and she experienced yeah. all the different things yeah. and they could see where her talents lay. Yeah. Well, um, I wouldn't say I've always known that I wanted mm. to do this. It was... I would always kind of help out my dad doing odd jobs, you know, he'd be fixing up the shed and be making a window or be making a door or whatever, half doors and things like that. And I'd always be giving my hand out and I suppose that's kind of where it started, the interest started to grow. So then in fifth year when I was like, yeah, I'll pick that subject, construction studies, it just all clicked. I was like, that's definitely That was it, it for you? Yeah, that was hooked. Margaret. This one has, <laughs> she has it, has this girl, has Orla Delaney got what it takes. You can see that already, Jerry, can you? when she walked in the door and we were chatting and um, just, you know, that kind of good feeling, like I was thinking it was 20 years I was looking for a female apprentice to come into the factory. But what made it, what made Orla different to everyone else that came in, she was already working. She's a lifeguard, do you know, a, a, a instructor, swim instructor. Yeah. So she was doing the swim instructor Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday or something like that. And I took her on for the Monday and Tuesday. So that was vital. She was already a grafter. She was already working. So is that important to say to anybody listening today and to young people that that's you as an employer now look for things like this? Jerry, I was thinking, about, I was doing talks in a few of the primary schools and that like, and for me personally, talking about my own experience and for other business owners and even the likes of yourself and that as well, when we were 12 and 13 years of age, I was selling strawberries for Matt Kavanagh. <laughs> I now work in sales, you know, there's no coincidence, you know, I got that chance and life growing up and I think we have to kind of like think about the young people today an awful lot of them want to work for pocket money if it's only cutting the grass or doing something just people skills and they bring that on to their job or their employer when they come along that they're a little bit wiser So Orla is your first female apprentice Yes. This is extra special now. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it is. In your time. Because again, you are a woman making your way in this world and very successfully, Margaret. Yeah. But here you are. You have this young lady with you. How has it been? How have you found the work? Oh, it's been great. Max has helped me through it all. Like, she's given me advice saying if you ever need a hand with this or... Yeah, Mag's been great. She's a real inspiration to mm. look up to. And you love going in. You love that every day. Yeah, I love in going in and the lads are there and have a bit of crack with them <laughs> every now and again. Jerry. She cycles down. I said, we'll train the old school way and she cycles to work. Yeah. That's it. Terrific. <laughs> no, no. by the way, with all of this, the books aren't behind you, no, by any means. College is coming up, is it next Yeah, I'm term? starting college in September. Just got the letter the other week. So I'm um, looking forward to starting second phase in September, going to yeah. DKIT. 
How did you get on with the boys? You mentioned them there and we're going to crack with the lads. <laughs> crack with the lads. Uh, they have their days sometimes, you know, <laughs> so you have to watch them. Uh, but no, the lads are great. Yeah, I get on well with them. Uh, yeah, they've taught me a lot, so... Mm. Yeah, and you'll teach them too. By the I'd way, remember so, that yeah. <laughs> they need a lot of teaching, and and you'll have a lot to offer them also. Now, the reason you're here with me today, well, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a little break. All right, stay with me. Aren't they just fantastic? <laughs> Two wonderful women with me on late lunch today, Margaret Riley and Orla Delaney. I'm going to talk more, and we've Margaret has a, an offer for you, so stay with us on late lunch. Margaret Riley from Grand Designs Kitchens and Bedrooms is with me on late lunch, and she is an ambassador for pre- apprenticeships in Ireland. And tell us what you are on the European stage. Oh, thanks, Jerry. Um, we just back from Brussels there last week, so um, I'm representing Ireland. I'm the first Irish ambassador to represent in Europe um, for the VET Week, and that's vocational education training. So it's very similar to the ETBs and SOS that we mm. have here in Ireland, you know. So you you uh, were picked up at national level, now European, and you're you're giving of your experience, and I'm sure taking as well from all yeah. you're, you're seeing. Now you're here today, you wanted to bring Orla in to introduce her to our listeners and say how delighted you are to have her as well. And again, it is a breakthrough because it's your first female apprenticeship in a men's in a man's world. But you're here today to offer another opportunity, are you? I am, Jerry. Um, we're offering another apprenticeship, and we're offering also um, a, a qualified person in the factory work as well. But uh, I think the key one with the apprenticeship is that we take on somebody. We're, we're offering. It's like I wanted a kind of um, I wanted somebody local. Do you know, mm. and somebody that has a passion for working with timber and for working within an environment that they can be creative and they can bring something to the table as well. And preferably a young person that's asked been working during their summer holidays. And that's vital because they need the life skills coming into a, a work environment and we'll polish them off then. In, in, oh, they the can factory. polish in that factory. Oh, <laughs> should you ever see the bloody work that they produce? <laughs> Wonderful. They can polish and they'll polish the body as well as the, the, the lovely kitchens and cabinets and everything they produce juice and bedrooms, you name it. Sorry I had to down a mad road there, but you know yourself what I'm talking about. But you're looking for some of an age. What, what, what are you talking about typically? Um, typically, probably like 17, 18, up to 24, 25. Do you know, okay. um, possibly somebody in early school either that's after been working or somebody that's um, after been in this industry or that didn't get their papers. Do you know? Mm. So somebody that's keen and willing. They only have to be willing, Jerry. Mm. If they're willing and good timekeeper, good manners, you know, a nice attitude. Um, that's what I'm kind of looking for, you know. And Orla takes all them boxes. She's the first year apprentice. You bring in someone else. It's always good to have two apprentices together a year apart because they can kind of, I don't mean measure themselves, but they know what they're aiming for. Yes. You know, and they kind of, they bring each other on. Mm. It's important. So girls or boys? Either, yes, Orla, you'd like, you might like to have another. Ah, uh, sure, another girl wouldn't be. Do some hair, wouldn't <laughs> well, That wouldn't go, that would be nice, wouldn't it, as well? David would be driven mad. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's, that's what he has to do, step up to the mark his management skills regardless. Look, if you're listening today and there's a young person in your home or in your community or your club, or you think this might suit, give us a shout on 1850 or you can text us to 0868. 658 or WhatsApp it there or directly to you. They can contact us directly through email and info at granddesigns.ie and also it's very important if they're coming down with a CV I, 
I strongly would recommend that the ki- that the person that in question that's looking for the job comes into us, mm. that the mammies and daddies don't contact us. That's very important. <laughs> it is so important. I know, I know, and mammies and daddies are trying to do their best, but you need the person themselves. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And just that other role, there is another role there that they can contact you about as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. But it's the apprentice role. We'd love to yeah. be the catalyst here on Late Lunch on LMFM to place <laughs> another apprentice with Margaret. What about the business? Now, you moved to new premises recently, recently and it looked like you were going to be out of town. Now town has come out and surrounded you and will yeah. where you are on the Chairman Feckin Road. Yeah. You're obviously busy, Margaret. It's an incredible It's incredible what happened when we moved out there, Jerry. We're actually there four years now and we're in business ten years since the 18th of May and like uh, the location was vital. You know, we started off with um, CTR Manufacturing and that was in Braden Street and then we opened up in uh, the retail shop in Brookville and then we amalgamated the two the factory and the showroom into uh, the new town Stalaban Termfrecken Road and like we had a big there's a big massive factory there but we built a house inside the factory to show off the, the couple of displays and that but that just changed the game for us on that road because that is such a busy road mm. and the location is excellent so 50% of our work is people that would know we're there and referrals and it's great like so thank god um, i'm very very i'm very pleased with that you know let me come back uh, let me come back to uh, orla orla delaney for a moment you know when you're in a school environment orla and you yes. have your classes and the teachers and you have your homework <laughs> and everything yeah what's the biggest change when you go to work coming out of the school uh, well you see there's a lot of differences between work and school i guess in many ways work is harder and in other ways school is I'd say what I noticed most when I went to work is that when you were finished in work, that was it. You didn't have to do any studying or anything like that, which I enjoyed. But um, with work, it was, I don't know, there's more fulfillment out of it. Mm. Yeah, got more pride out of your work that you were doing. And it was great to see like what you were doing every day. And yeah, so it was better. Yeah. Works a lot better, you see. Did you find work now when you went into work, Margaret, easier than school in a way? In a way, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. That's because, you see, you love this and this is what you want and this is where you always want to be <laughs> as well. But hey, I have bad news for you. You're going to have to do a little bit of study in September when you go I'm back sure to this college. I'm sure I don't college. mind. It's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're working and you're being paid and that's a little bit <laughs> different as well. How long will this, how long is the time frame uh, for Orla? Um, Jerry, it's, it's seven modules. One, three, five, and seven is on the job, and two, four, and six is off the job. And out of the, it's for four years. The wood finishing and uh, techni- sorry, the wood manufacturing and finishing. So this this one uh, apprenticeship is four years from start to finish, and out of that she'll do twenty weeks uh, in the first release release of uh, college, and then she'll do ten weeks and ten weeks. So you still get to go to college. You know, you still get that environment. Yes. And um, you also get paid when you go to college. You also get paid when you go to work. So you earn while you learn. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. It is exactly a win. Around, <laughs> Orla, <isn't> it? <laughs> Earning it really and learning. Is. Yeah. I don't know what we, what would you want more? Getting paid to go to college. I <laughs> like what would you ask? <laughs> and you have your career path now. Yes. Yeah, you. I do. For and the one thing you know about this when you qualify now, no, don't jump years ahead. You have yeah. to work your way through this. This is a skill, Margaret, that applies no matter 
where you go in life or where you travel or whatever? It is, Jerry. You can go anywhere in the world. Like, you know, I would love for the apprentices to hang on for a year or two after the apprenticeship, you know, and uh, and then, like, it is... And then some apprentices need to go off for two or three years. You know, like, my brother worked with us, like, back in 2009, served his time, and with the recession that I let him go for three years and he came back. Now, he's, he's like, you know, grown so much from being away from the company and I suppose as a family business he probably needed to do mm. that like so but uh, he's a great guy you know and, and that made him do you know and with Orla I'd love if she hung around you know because I could mould her then into my job you know <laughs> <laughs> she's thinking ahead Orla so I know we all plan anyway thank you both for joining me today on the show I wish you well Orla, Orla thank Delaney you thank, thank you for coming in to talk to us on Thanks, the show and you too Margaret thank you, Jerry. and hopefully we'll have this new apprentice in place sooner rather than later and can I say like Mr Sugar you're hired (laughs) (laughs) let's head to news and sport at three in the company of John Legend what would I do without your smart mouth drawing me in and you kicking me out you've got my head spinning No kidding, I can't pin you down What's going on in that beautiful mind? I'm on your magical mystery ride And I'm so dizzy, don't know what hit me But I'll be alright My head's underwater, but I'm breathing fine Cause all of me loves all of you Love your curves and all your edges All your perfect imperfections Give your all to me I give my all to you You're my end and my beginning Even when I lose I'm winning Cause I give you all of me And you give me all of you Dylan Keating, it's great to catch you today, a very special day. You're at the final qualifier for the Open Championship in England. But let's go back seven days, Dylan, to Baltray. Congratulations on an absolutely wonderful score. Tell us about it. How did it happen? How did you put it together? To be honest, I I, I found out I was asleep the night before because I was just back from London from the Henry Cooper tournament. And um, I literally woke up that next morning. Uh, one of my local friends, Charlie, who plays golf in Seapoint, was caddying for me. And the first four holes in Baltray are fairly easy. They're the kind of holes you want to score on. And I was one over through them, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a tough, long day. And then um, I kind of turned the switch at birdie five. Um, I had a decent par on six. And then I had five birdies in a row from seven to 11, which kind of, kind of got me to five under par. Um, and then I just played steady golf, birdie 16. Um, it could have been a lot better the round like look, I'll, I'll take six under it was a great round still six under on the links in Baltray I can tell everybody yeah. is a fantastic score did you know when you were coming to the end of your round that you were in the shake up I did because when I was um, teen off 16 
uh, after the big rain delay, I had a BBC and Sky Sports video of me going up the 16th and 17th and 18th. So I thought, oh, I must be doing something quite good here. Um, and it was it was kind of really cool. I was a bit nervous, but it was really cool. Nerves of steel you showed, and that is history at this stage. And you are in England today for a practice yeah. round, and you're just one step away from playing in Portrush in the Open Championship later on in the month. You're at St Anne's yeah. Old Course today, so a practice day is mm-hmm. it today, Dylan? Yeah, I had a practice round yesterday. Um, I'm just going to have another practice round today just to get myself ready for tomorrow. Um, it's kind of cool because you see so many European, ex-European tour players and it's kind of, it's it's really cool. Now, the course there, what do you make of it? How does it compare to Baltre? Is it as linksy? Yeah, it's very linksy. It's actually, it's a very similar golf course to Betty's Town, which is a beautiful golf course as well. Um, so that, and I kind of, I like Betty's Town and it suits my eye, Betty's Town. I shot seven under there last year. So, like, I really think I could go low here. Um, it's just all about not making any stupid mistakes and just playing well. And is it just one single round tomorrow? No, it's two rounds tomorrow. So 36 holes, so you'll have 18 and a short break and 18 again. You mentioned there, of course, yeah. there are guys there who've been on the tour trying to get into mm. this Open Championship because it's a very special yeah. one, first time in Ireland in many a year. Are you nervous yeah. at all? Are you as cool as you were in those final holes in Baltray? To be, I, I don't, I'm not nervous at the moment. I'll probably get a bit nervous standing on the first tee tomorrow, but at the moment I'm not nervous. I'm kind of just... I'm kind of more eager to just get on and start. I I know that I could make it. Like I'm playing well enough to beat people, the people that are playing here and get into the open. It's just all about just playing well. So I'm not. I I thought I'd be a lot more nervous than I was than I am. To be totally honest, Jerry. Listen, the Keatings have form here. You're cool people. You've done an awful lot in your lives. Let me ask you this, just for listeners to LMFM today, because we interviewed yeah. your younger brother a yeah. little while back on the show, so it's your turn now. Tell us about you. Are you playing golf long? I'm playing golf since I was about two, and I've just really, I kind of, I've just always loved it. Always loved it. I've been playing nearly all my life, man, nearly every day of my life. <laughs> Two years of age, by God, they start them young now. And you're only a whippersnapper, so you're only 16 at the minute. Now, I want to tell listeners, you are from Seapoint in County Loud. You're a member of the club there. You're boys' captain. You won the Irish mm-hmm. Boys' Championship last year. Mm-hmm. And you have form. You know you know how to win these things. So you're mm-hmm. going into this, I'm sure, I mentioned nerves, but you have to be fairly confident. I, to me, I'm, I'm a lot more confident after Baltray, to be honest. Because the field in Baltray and the field here... The field in Maltray maybe wasn't as good, but it's, they're fairly similar to the two fields. So if I could do it in Maltray, I could do it here. Who's with you? Dad Gary, yes? Yeah. He's your main support, is he? Oh, he is, yeah. And especially all the people in Seapoint, they're a great support as well. And my mum, especially, she's fantastic. You have to mention Valerie. She's well known in the public oh, yeah. relations field and she's a great lady. She really is. So what happens tomorrow? Yeah. Who's caddying for you? Um, I have a local caddy from St. Dan's, his name's Mal, and I, I was, he was with me there yesterday and he'll be with me again today. And we clicked very well, so he's a local and he's a great caddy, so he'll be with me all the way. Local knowledge, you can't beat it, and mm. it's a, it may be no, a, you can't. the key factor, you know that, your caddy is so important on the course. Mm. Very, very much that you don't know as well. Yeah, so yesterday you practiced, you're practicing today as we speak, you'll be out in the course as we hear this on LMFM Radio, and what time are you teeing off tomorrow at? Tomorrow, my first tea time is 8.25 and my second tea time is 2.10. Lovely. So a busy day ahead for you tomorrow. 
Yeah, and everyone I know in the North East, from all the golf clubs, you know there's a nest of them here, and especially your home club, Sea Point. We're all rooting for you. We want you, Dylan Keating, up there in Port Rush. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. And I'm going myself on the Friday, so please, God, you'll be there, and I'll be oh, following you. We'll hopefully see each other then, Jerry. Yeah, I'd love it. I'd really love it, and I wish you all the best. Look, you're heading off out to practice, I just know now. Good luck today, and the very best luck tomorrow. No matter what happens, Dylan, uh, the future looks really bright for you in the world of golf. Yeah. Best Thanks wishes. Yes, we wish him well. He's a great young fella and he's there tomorrow with a chance. Three places, just three places up for grabs where he's playing tomorrow. But fingers crossed for the young lad from Seapoint. He's only 16. He has a bright future ahead of him that he'll make the qualifying. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he made it to Port Rush and the Open Championship coming up later in the month, the 18th of July for four days. It's going to be really, really special. Now, last uh, Friday, uh, we said goodbye to you on late lunch and soon afterwards, helicopters were in the skies over the seaside in the northeast, in particular over Sea Point Beach. Gilamante went swimming with some friends, but sadly, yes, she was rescued from the seas, but unfortunately, she passed away a short time later in hospital. After the break, her Sunday school teacher, Simon Lockwood, joins us. Hot off the press for Meath fans. Meath against Clare has been fixed for Portleash on Sunday at 2 o'clock. So there you have it. We just have that news for you. 2 o'clock Sunday, Portleash, Meath taking on Clare in the fourth round qualifiers. Lively, charismatic, bubbly, outgoing, beautiful. The words to describe Jill Amante, who was only 14 years of age, who went out swimming with friends at Sea Point beach on Friday last and didn't come home. Simon Lockwood is Jill's Sunday school teacher and he joins me on the line. Afternoon, Simon. Hi there, Jerry. What can you say? I mentioned those words about this beautiful young lady. You knew her well. Um, yeah, she was, I mean, the whole family were members of our church um, and um, we were just devastated. I, I heard about it Saturday morning and um, Obviously, on Sunday, there was people that were at church who hadn't heard, and it was a very somber service on Sunday. So, um, you know, Jill was, um, <laughs> she was a very active member of the Sunday school. Um, she'd moved up to Bible class because she was in secondary school, but in Sunday school, she was, um, you know, she was so active. Um, e- even through the sadness, I was um, having a bit of a smile about, um, we we had a, the the nativity service and she had a big part in that as an angel and um <laughs> we all discovered at the same time that perhaps her long distance sight wasn't that fantastic so you know she was just she was wonderful you know she was um yeah you know yeah it's hard to come to terms with something like this when it happens and 14 years of age vibrant full of life with everything to live for and then it's taken away as a man of the church, it's it's very hard to reconcile this for her family, for her friends, for people in general, that something like this happens. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we say, you know, we say things in church and in Sunday school, like, uh, you know, God has a plan for us and there's, there's, there's mysteries we don't understand. But I think um, most of us, when things are bad, we, we, we come to God for, comfort and peace and we've we've been praying hard for the family and obviously they will be as well it's so difficult a time like this 
But I mean, they, I mean, obviously they've got family that are coming from other parts of the world. So um, hopefully the strength they have and the faith they have will, will keep them going because accidents happen. You know, accidents happen. It's, uh, it's, 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 that's the way of the world, you know, and whatever age, you know, you really have to, you really have to seize the moment. And Jill seized the moment. She was, you know, <laughs> I remember again, you know, she was, um, for her age, she was a bit of a fashion leader. She'd come in with different coloured hair and, we'd all, you know, everyone would be excited and uh, her and her friends would be comparing what they were wearing. And, uh, yeah, she, she, was, she was full of life and it's absolutely tragic that that life's been cut so short. We question Simon at times like this, but is this where faith and belief come to the aid of people in these circumstances? Oh, I think so. I think I think um, I think if you're, you know, if you have a faith, a belief that um, you're, you know, that we're we're destined for heaven, then the, the prayer is that uh, Jill was on her walk um, in faith. So hopefully she's um, she's gone to that better place, and her family will have comfort in that. But I mean, it's you know, it's easy for me to say that, but I mean, obviously the family will hold on to their faith and the, the, the friendship and fellowship from their family and church members will um, will be something they can draw on. Simon, thank you kindly for joining me. And those words are lovely in memory of uh, the late Jill Amante this afternoon. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Simon Lockwood there, Jill's Sunday school teacher, and she was a member of the Presbyterian community here in the North East. And we remember her today and we extend our sympathies to her parents, Mercy and Alex, and all of the family. It's a shocking, shocking time for them. And I can tell you that a GoFundMe page has been established. And if you go to uh, GoFundMe.com and pop in Jill Amante, uh, you'll see all the details there. And already there's over 8,000 raised. It's fabulous generosity and I'm not surprised by that 10,000 was the target and they're almost there already and hopefully that may be some help but some help to them but how can you help with the loss of a beautiful young daughter like Jill we leave you on late lunch today with a song to our memory it's Eva Cassidy
Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, setting the standards higher for award-winning customer service you can trust. Visit your regional dealer for Renault and Dacia in the Northeast for exclusive offers with lowest can be APR finance and finance arranged within four hours. Dare to live? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 